God's grace, his mercy, and his peace are yours from our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. Amen. Don't look at me that way. That's the impression I got as I read an article on NOLA.com. Uh, an article that came out in a five-part series. It's called the, the Children of Central City. And the theme seemed to be, don't look at me that way. You see, Central City is a, a portion of New Orleans that is historically crime-ridden, lower income, and a lot of children in that area come out and end up either dead or in jail. And this, if you haven't read it, this series highlights a few people from Central City, one being Jerome Temple, who used to be a football coach. And he coached for many years, and after Katrina, he decided to do something that was kind of weird and profound. Every time one of his players died, he would write it in a book just to keep a record. And now, these many years after Katrina, he's had to write... 28 names just from his football team in his book. The majority, if not all of them, dying on account of violence in the central city. He also went through his office, and they, they have little video clips, and he was showing the camera all the pictures of all of his, his teams and players throughout the years, and he would go through and he would say, this person is in jail, this person is a drug dealer, this person is... Seemed like most of his players were caught in this central city mindset. And it's interesting to look at the data because there's something pointing at central city, saying something that there's something wrong there, there's something happening there. Whereas maybe we just take a step back and we think central city is a place that we have to put more police presence, we have to have more harsh punishment for the crimes that are going there. But this article takes that and pulls it all apart and it says, think of this from the perspective of mental disorder and trauma. That some of these kids, their everyday life consists of violence and domestic abuse and even seeing murders right in their neighborhood. And the science shows that Kids, especially at a young age, that causes them to, to cope with these things in a different way than everyone else. And it really ends up being a mental disorder where they can't shut off this, this sense of trauma that's in their lives. And so it changes who they are and it puts them in this horrible cycle where in school they act out, at home they act out. They express themselves in different ways, usually maybe violent ways because that's all they've known which is unfortunate because so many of our schools have taken this zero violence policy for good reason, to protect the kids that are in the classroom so that they continue to learn, but that took the approach of these are only behavioral disorders versus mental disorders. All of a sudden, a zero policy in a school, leaves someone who's struggling with trauma, playing this merry-go-round of expulsions and suspensions, and leaves them with no help whatsoever. It's interesting to see how quickly our perspective can change. How a place like Central City is 
frustratingly angry because of all the violence and crime that goes on there. And we think, if only we could just get rid of this part of our city and, and cleanse it. But then we begin to hear what people are saying about mental disorder and trauma. And all of a sudden, our hearts go out to them. And we think, these people need help. I think one person said, I'm summing this up, these aren't bad kids, they're sad kids. They need care and attention and a lot of it. It's not just Central City, it's not just mental disorder that we have this perspective problem with, it's actually pretty much all of our lives we have this very big perspective problem and that's, our perspective is, is a problem because of this. Because it drives our emotions, it drives our feeling, and ultimately it drives our action. So whatever our perspective, whatever comes out the end in our action is guided by that. And so we look at our world and we kind of scratch our heads and we wonder, why are all these things happening? Things like racism and hate crimes, and we, we ask, can't people just respect each other and get along? We think of foreign policy, foreign aid. We think of even the political climate and how it seems to be growing bigger and bigger, a, a, a cavern between the two uh, parties or t- separate parties every day. We, we really wonder, why is it so? I think it comes down to perspective. Something very similar to what Paul was talking about over 2,000 years ago as he wrote to this church called the Corinthian Church. If you were to sum up what the Corinthian church was, it was the quintessential bad church. Everything was going wrong with the church at Corinth. If you just page through 1 Corinthians, you see the, the, the headings, and it's about divisions, it's about Christians suing Christians over certain things, it's about sexual immorality and the church not addressing certain sexual sins, And Paul looks at this church and he sees it over, out of control, bubbling over in their actions and how they treat each other. It's a church divided. Arguments over whose baptism was maybe more valuable because Paul did it or Apollo did it. And if the Corinthian church is in a reflection of the time and, and day of that society, we got to say it's not much better than ours today. There's always problems that are going on. They're reflected in that church, and Paul gets down to the heart of it as he talks to these Corinthians who are Christians who know this. It says, For Christ's love compels us because we are convinced that one died for all, and therefore all died. And he died for all, that those who live should no longer live for themselves, but for him who died for them and was raised again. These Christians were taught this, Christ's love is compelling. It pushes us forward, it motivates us to to not act as ourselves, but to live for Christ and for each other, and yet... Paul sees the Corinthian church and he sees not a compelling Christ-driven church, he sees compulsion. He sees people who live in their own worlds grabbing for what they want as if it was the end of times and their lives dependent on it, how much they can get for themselves. 
And you see how their own worlds were filled with their own comfort and their own passions and their own securities. Because if another Christian threatens me and my property, well, I'm going to take him to court. Well, if it feels good to me and my passions, why not go and sleep around? Paul even has to get to the point where he says, you know what? Prostitutes, they're bad. He's telling this to Christians. They should know better, yet Paul stands up there because these people have a different worldview of everything and they're not seeing it as Paul is laying it out for them. They're not compelled by Christ. They're under compulsion of their sin, grabbing at whatever they can get. And so Paul says to them, verse 16, So now, from now on, we regard no one from a worldly point of view. Though we once regarded Christ in this way, we do so no longer. It's a perspective problem. It's one that we have too. We have our own little worlds that we create, that are secure, that involve our own desires, our own wants and needs. And when we look at it from a worldly point of view, we see kind of this division. From a worldly point of view, all of a sudden things like, like race and looks and economic status are taken into account in how we treat and love other people. Because if someone doesn't add value to my world, well, then we say they're bad. If someone is good for my world, we'll, we'll encourage that sort of behavior or that sort of person and we'll encourage them to be part of our world and love them and treat them with respect. If something threatens me in my life, well, the best way is to do away with them. To push them aside. To overlook them. Neglect them. That's what Paul said the apostles did to Jesus. He said, we saw Jesus from a worldly point of view. And you, you see evidence of that as the disciples followed Jesus. And, and what they were thinking most of the time was that Jesus would eventually become the king of Israel, the, the nation of Israel, and make Israel a great nation like back in the times of Solomon and David. He, that's what the disciples thought. And when Jesus wasn't doing that, when he had chances for royalty, chances to step up, chances to take charge, he never did. And that frustrated the disciples, I'm sure. Because they came to him saying, when are you going to take the throne? When when are you going to restore the glory to the kingdom of Israel? And every time Jesus would say, no. Anyone could look at Jesus and they wouldn't see him as royal, they wouldn't see him as glorious, but they would see him as someone who's who's trying to undermine the whole system of their beliefs. Someone who was maybe petty. Someone who didn't obey the traditional laws. Someone who was maybe a criminal that deserved to be hanging on a cross. They didn't see 
Christ except through world eyes. For some, he didn't fit into their world. He wasn't valuable to them. So they neglected, even persecuted him. Pushed him aside. Don't look from a worldly perspective. Because you'll fall into that same pattern. Don't look at me that way. That's, that's kind of the theme of Central City. Don't, don't look at them from that manner because you'll, you'll push them aside if you just think they're, they're criminals and thugs. But if you see them as people who are traumatized, you're gonna, your heart's going to go out for them. We turn to God and say, don't look, us that, look at us that way. We are traumatized by our own sin. And then when we see Christ and what he has done, we see the whole perspective changes. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old is gone and the new has come. All this is from God, who reconciled us to himself through Christ and gave us the ministry of reconciliation, that God was reconciling the world to himself in Christ not counting men's sins against them. God reconciled us, meaning he mended this relationship that we had between God. It was one that was not good at all. God would have to cast us into hell if it were looking at us for who we are for our actions, for our sins, for our thoughts, or for our deeds, all those things that bubble up from our, our sinful heart that we, we can't suppress. We can put coverings over it. We could try to hide it, but it, our sinful heart is still there and our actions bubble up because of it. Yet in Christ, he says, you become a new creation. Because Christ, he was royalty. Even while he was on this earth, even when he, he faced punishment on account of who he was from the teachers of the law and the Pharisees, from the Romans, he was royalty the entire time. Because when we step back and we look at Christ and his work, from our perspective now, on the other side of the cross, we see Christ coming down, kneeling in front of sin-traumatized people, and grabbing us and leading us to glory. That's what was so royal about Christ. You see it? He left his throne to come down to a world that was messed up and crazy and divided. A world where everyone has their own world and tries to, to make their world better, even at the expense of other people. And he set aside his world. He said, I have made things right between you God. I reconciled it. He grabs our hand and he leads us to the glory and the inheritance of his kingdom. Because on the cross, he nailed our sins. On the cross, he gave up his righteous life 
for you and me. On the cross, he made this, this big, grand exchange so that we can stand before God, and God loves us for who we are because in Christ we are holy and righteous. Don't look at me that way. I think that's what the world is saying to us, too. They might, might not say it in those words, but you, you see it in how people act towards each other. Everyone has their own perspective, and we, we, we ask everyone to look from our perspective, but no one wants to, to change who they are. No one wants to look from a different perspective. Everyone wants to be their own, and so they're crying out. They're asking for mercy. They're asking for peace. And here, Paul says, don't look at them from that worldly perspective. That they're either good or bad for you in your life. Look at it from Christ's perspective. What had Christ done for the world? Well, he didn't value it on the basis of their looks or their race or economic status. He valued it on the basis of what he gave for the world, his life. Every person is valued at Christ's life. That's valueless, invaluable. So when the world says, don't look at me that way, we say, we don't. We're not going to look at you as someone who is maybe good or bad, but we look at you through Christ and see someone who Christ has paid his life for. And either you're, you're struggling to see that and recognize that and, and let us help you along to see it, or you do see it. And let me encourage you and pray for you so you can t- continue to see this valuable life that God has given you and the value that Christ has put on you. And our whole perspective changes. That when someone walks into our church who really isn't someone that we're comfortable with, it doesn't matter because our perspective is through Christ and Christ has loved that person unconditionally. We see things like children running into our fellowship hall. We don't see people who, who are maybe annoying and bug us. We see that Christ loved them so much to give his life for them. When we see one of our, our fellow Christians struggling in sin, we, we don't say how stupid you are. We say, this is someone that Christ loved. How can I love them? If the Corinthian church understood that and carried it out, man, the blessings that he could give them. Those divisions that were caused would not have been there. The, the sin and the, the lawsuits and everything that they have done, that, well, from a godly Christ perspective, we have seen love instead of divisiveness. not just the children of Central City or people with mental disorders that we need to take a new perspective on. It's the world. Don't 
look at yourselves and others through a worldly perspective. Because Christ has given us a new perspective. We're a new creation, he says. Now even, he says, we therefore are Christ's ambassadors. As though God were making his appeal through us, we implore you on Christ's behalf to be reconciled to God. An ambassador is someone who speaks on behalf of someone else. They're not speaking their own opinions or their own ideas. They're someone who who represents a country or a nation. And here, you and I are ambassadors of Christ. We represent Christ. We speak on his behalf. And so when we do, we implore people, be reconciled to God. See the reconciliation that Christ has won you on the cross. And there you will find the peace, the comfort, and perspective that God so wants us to have. It's a hard thing to do. It is. That's something that we have to fight every day of our lives as we profile people as we have our own biases and the list can go on but as we see what Christ has done for us he came with no bias he gave his life for all that's every single person in this world so no matter how bad or how uh, undesirable someone might be you still see them through Christ loved by him when you see that, you see how much Christ loves you too. We are reconciled. We are ambassadors. May we see that perspective every day. We thank Christ Jesus for that. Amen. Please stand. We continue by confessing our faith with the words of the Apostles' Creed, printed for you on the bottom of page 7 in your bulletin. We confess. I believe in God the Father Almighty, maker of heaven and earth. I believe in Jesus Christ, his only Son, our Lord, who was conceived by the Holy Spirit, born of the Virgin Mary, suffered under Pontius Pilate, was crucified, died, and was buried. He descended into hell. The third day he rose again from the dead. He ascended into heaven and is seated at the right hand of God the Father Almighty. From there he will come to judge the living and the dead. I believe in the Holy Spirit, the Holy Christian Church, communion of saints, the forgiveness of sins, the resurrection of the body, and the life everlasting. Amen.